Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In goes Stewart! They've only gone and done it! And with a quick turn, skipper Alex Dock slams it in. There's Lindegaard making Boris backpedal. Davis looking to help it into the path of Morris. He's found him via the deflection. It's Aaron Davis. He could win it. He probably has won it for Yeovil. Oh, and it's an opening goal. What a start. Madden, after just six minutes, gives Yeovil the lead. Stansfield, good turn away from Trott. Goal. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Glover's Cast. It's never dull around these parts, is it? Uh, I'm Ben. Thank you very much for joining us on episode 200 and whatever we're on now. Uh, Dave's here. Say hello, Dave. Hello, Dave. And Ian's here. Say hello, Ian. Hello, Ian. Now, it's kind of a special episode, isn't it? So we thought we might have to pull out some big guns. And well, we thought with everything that's happened, everything that's going to happen and all the chat that's going to happen, we thought, well... Who better than someone who watched all the shots and knows this football club inside out? So we are delighted to welcome back for a second occasion, Chris Will to the podcast. Chris, how are you, sir? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. That's quite all right. Um, yeah, Ian, Ian was there at the game. Uh, Ian, our Ian was there at the game as well. But you were there in the press box. You were working alongside the other Ian, Ian Randall, for the older shot game. I think... I don't know, lads. Is the easiest way to do this somewhat chronologically? I think it's been a it's been a whirlwind seventy two hours. Chris, let's let's talk about the older shot game in particular because I was I was listening in. I thought you and Ian covered the game really really well. Take me right back to the sort of start of the game. Um, you saw the team sheet. You saw the lineup. You saw how things were going. What was the mood around the place as we were building up to kickoff? Um, yeah, it seemed fairly positive because it was a half-term week. There was lots of kids in the ground and stuff. And it, yeah, it felt quite good walking in, actually. I was quite surprised. It was, seemed quite positive. And then, obviously, the news of him making six changes 
in my head is kind of like last last ditch saloon kind of thing that he's kind of gone right I'm all or nothing it's going to either work or not work probably I know that if I don't win this game I probably will get the sack or be very close to getting the sack so as a manager sometimes you just try something totally off the cuff maybe have they worked on it in training I don't know it looked like it maybe for the first half and then just second half, just I don't know what he's changed formation almost straight away and then brought off um, yeah, a couple of substitutions that I didn't really think he brought off Fisher and and didn't think it was probably the right move to do. And then yeah, second half was dreadful. First half you could see a, some kind of plan, you could see something, then just second half was just a mess. But... What what did you make to the reaction of the supporters during the games? I think the thing that struck me while I was sat there as a fan was sort of there was a moment when we sort of kept hold of the ball in the corner and moved it just to keep possession rather than cross it in. And at that moment, you hear a load of boos in the middle of the Thatcher's Terrace. Yeah. And I've never experienced anything like it at a football match where supporters turned so quickly. You could almost hear boos when they came out at, at points, I thought. I'd, uh, what was your feeling yeah. when that's happening? Uh... I mean, I ha- I've been in various football grounds and it's been a lot worse than that. So, I mean, I can understand from their point of view, from a, from a coach's point of view now, I find that really frustrating because, yes, there was an opportunity to put the ball. They're inside the 18-yard box. He should have shot, um, but he's played back, but it was still kept possession. So if you're still in possession of the football, you're still able to create chances. So from my point of view, that's wrong to boo at that time, 100%. Anyway, no one should boo, but... If you're still in possession of the football, it's a little bit like watching England sometimes. But then you watch, I, went, I remember watching a game at um, Portsmouth last year and they were brilliant in possession. The fans were getting restless, but eventually they worked it through and scored an amazing goal. And I think sometimes he, you could see Chris wanted to try to play a little bit of football. And I think the fans just needed to be more patient with that. Um, it's really difficult though, as a player because if you're getting booed and then you start trying and forcing things and it doesn't come off and then you lose possession and there's a turnover in it. Um, yeah, I didn't think it's right to do that, but I, I also understand why certain fans do do that. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, I think it was probably what they were booing over. Like you say, it wasn't like um, a, a pass the ball back to the goalkeeper or anything. It was almost like retaining possession did yeah. seem a strange thing. And I think I, I was listening to you and, and, and the other Ian on the radio. And um, yeah, it, it, it sounded like a, quite a minor thing to, to have that kind of reaction. I did wonder what happened when uh, the booing to start with. Yeah, no, nothing. There's an opportunity to shoot potentially. It was, it was on the edge of the 18-yard box right in the corner. Um, but he's decided to set back and then there's another backwards pass, but then it's a sideways pass to go forward out the other side. So it's nothing really a major issue. From a, from my point as a coach, I don't see a problem with that, really. Yes, he turned down an opportunity, Scott, but you've still got possession of the football. So I don't really see much problem with it. Let's move into the second half then, because by your words, it was, it was a bit of a mess. And Ian, you were there as well. And, and obviously you saw the mess unfolding. Um, I thought it was really telling, actually, on on air that you and Ian were talking about um, about how Aldershot could nick this because they know they probably only need one goal. What was it that was so striking about us going forward? Uh, Chris, let's start with you and then Ian. I'll, I'll sort of I'll get you to answer the same thing because it's been a reoccurring theme this season. We just don't look like scoring, and I, I don't really know why. Well, you can see on... 
uh, on Tuesday night, there was nothing going forward, really. Um, no threat. I mean, a little bit of puff and puff in the second half, but nothing really. Torre came on, and I like, it's the first time I've seen him this year, and I really like him. I spoke to my friend Chris Giles, who was actually doing the commentary for Aldershot, and we played in the new team together at the Oval, and um, played, obviously, for Yeovil. And he really likes him. He went to watch Yeovil a couple of weeks ago and thought he was really dangerous and a real threat. Um, so he came on and thought, yeah, he looks a bit of a handful. But I would like to see him and Fisher somehow and Linton play. I mean, I don't know if they've done that this year, but I mean, in terms of I went home and thought of what's the best team for Yeovil, how can they score goals? Um, and I think if you've got Fisher, Torre and Linton, Wakefield, obviously you can't play at the mo uh, moment, can he? But you, there's no reason. And then the app may be feeding them. There's no reason why you can't score goals. I don't understand what on. It was just nothing there on, on Tuesday. And he's gone for the two young lads and uh, out wide. And it just didn't work. Yeah, didn't work. Ian, how would, you, how would you describe it? It was a little bit Groundhog Day in terms of performances going forward. Um, it was probably worse than what we've seen just because obviously he's changed it and tried to make something different happen. And we've thought that with the players we've got, our best formations are, you know, four, three, three. I thought to throw Clark in at, how old is he? 21, his first game. 19, I think. 19, yeah, his first game. Felt like a bit of a bit of a situation to throw a kid in. Obviously, we lost Pearson before that as well, going back to City. Um, and it was, I don't know, he talked about experience and he had, you know, Torre on the bench. And I think I agree with Chris that Torre's the only one who's really made anything happen at points this season going forward because he's sort of that unpredictable player who seems a bit tricky to play against. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't sure about that. And, and Holbert as well, his first start after coming off off the bench, yeah, he did, did all right, but it was a bit of a pressure cooker to throw him into especially when you heard that atmosphere. And, and I sort of felt for Alex Fisher because he seemed to bear a brunt, a, a brunt of the, you know, the, the fans ire, but he was sort of chasing lost causes all night. The amount of running he did trying to make something happen, press defenders. He was just left on his own a little bit. Well, a lot. Yeah. You could see what he was trying for first half, to play up to Fisher and then try to get the two in from there. But the quality up to him was poor, so that he didn't really then have much service. And then it's, then he is chasing lost causes and, and working really hard for not a lot. And it was, yeah, difficult. Yeah, um, so it was different. It was different, but it was the second half, just they lost. The confidence was gone. I don't know what he said at half time. They didn't, didn't carry on doing what they were trying in the first half and like you said it was just a matter of time it felt like before Aldershot got at the other end of the pitch and scored something because we were just nowhere near that that that, that word confidence I think is one that we're going to probably refer back to more than once in this little chat because we said it for a while and I was at Oldham and that was the lowest confidence I've seen a Yeovil side look in a long long time Chris when that first goal goes in it, it is very very late on did you notice heads drop significantly and did it feel like, well, that's kind of game over? Was there any fight to come back and, and try and, and nab an, an equaliser? Yeah, no, there was. I was quite impressed. The two or three minutes, the reaction straight away after was quite good. The only thing I would say is you've got six minutes, you've got nothing to lose. You're going to go for it. My thought 
is why can't you start like that? So the energy, the intent, the aggression was there for two or three minutes, but two or three minutes in a football match isn't clearly good enough. Um, but so there was a spark. And my concern was after the final whistle, I observed, like, I tried to look at body language and read people's body language and stuff. And it looked like a bunch of individuals rather than a team, um, which is what I just saw. I mean, it's the first time I've seen Yeovil this year. And there's a number of individuals who I thought, oof, you're not portraying yourself very well here. Um, and I can't, I don't want to single individuals out, of course, but it just didn't look like a, uh, it looked like a bunch of individuals rather than a team. Ian, what was that final whistle like? Tell us about how it felt, because you, you grabbed a little snapshot of it, but to be there in the stadium and, and feel those those boos and those jeers, that it felt significant. Yeah, it was really nasty. I've never, never known anything like it, really. They're sort of just shouting at players, you know, people down by the side of the pitch. Like, I've never seen that at Hewish Park to that level, even under Darren Way, when he was the manager, it sort of felt, never felt like it reached that point. It was, yeah, it, it was we're just... Not, and we're not just talking about the Thatcher's end yobs here, are we? We're talking about the uh, either side sort of, I use the term yobs in jest, but you know what I mean? It's the, the traditional <laughs> two quieter stands maybe don't get involved in, in that kind of thing so much, but it was kind of all round. Yeah, well, I can only, I, obviously I was on the screw fix side, so I could only hear what was on that side and like I said to you on this podcast before once you hear the shouts coming from there you know you've lost <laughs> you, <laughs> you lose the screw fix <laughs> you know you've lost the fans and it was just waiting to boil over and yeah it, it did at the, the end and I think you know there was a lot of chanting at the manager and at the players and you know a few of them held their hands up I think the only one who came out of that game with any sort of Credit was Josh Staunton again. Um, he's the captain and he plays for the shirt every time. But yeah, the rest of them didn't didn't put up a great fight. I thought Worthy did okay. Um, he's one of the other ones who runs, you know, works his socks off. Um, but yeah, no, that, that final whistle, it was almost like they were waiting to be put out of their misery a little bit. Was it at that point? I mean, did you think at that point, well, that's him done then because we could, we were waiting, weren't we, until what eleven o'clock on uh, on Tuesday night for the manager's interview to drop. Thinking, well, there's no interview. Maybe that's he's he's been told there and then. But uh, I mean, did it did it feel like that was as far as it was going to go? Well, we've thought there was no turning back for a couple well, of weeks it, now, haven't we? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that yeah, it was so toxic. It was so negative that. He could win the next game and people would still want him out. I think at that point, the the, the views were already strongly held, I think. And yeah, even if he'd won, I think people still wouldn't have been happy. Chris, I think you made some really interesting remarks to your in your post-match chat with John. I was lucky enough to be dialed in uh, for a quick chat and then, and then you followed up suit. And I thought some of the post-match remarks you made were really, really interesting and actually very valid that... Chris Hargreaves hasn't had an easy job of it in difficult circumstances at a club that needs a lot doing to it. And you almost felt a certain level of sympathy, empathy, and I'm not quite sure what the right word is, towards Chris Hargreaves and what you'd seen maybe wasn't reflective of the entire situation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know certain people that obviously applied for the job the first time around. Um, and 
why they didn't get it or why they didn't want it um, is because of situations at the football club. So it's really difficult then for a manager to come in with maybe expectations of certain budgets and, and promises. And I don't know whether those promises were fulfilled or not, but he's obviously uh, been put under a very difficult situation in terms of recruitment and stuff as well. So I can understand why. I can understand the fans' frustration in terms of, yes, the Oval Town, and yes, we should be a lot higher and, and doing really well in this league. But I don't know where the budget lies in the, in the league, but there are some big budgets in this league. And um, I don't think you can always just pinpoint one person as to why it's, why it's gone wrong. That was diplomatic, wasn't it? That was, that that was, was very diplomatic. Far too diplomatic that. for us. I know, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll lose all of our revolutionary fans, won't we, if we, uh, if we carry on with this diplomacy. But um, I, I was sat there listening in, thinking this is all far too, far too diplomatic. He's going to get on far too well in, in this way. Yeah. No, it, it, it was a very excellent um, sort of summary of the situation and kind of sums up how a lot of people are feeling. And... I guess that then brings us on to today's news that Chris Hargreaves has been relieved of his duties. We should say it is half past eight on Thursday evening. As yet, we have not had official confirmation of a successor. We have not had official confirmation of the roles of Chris Todd and Marcus Stewart going forward. Um, those will be cleared up in the um, in the near future, I assume. Um, did anybody think that today wouldn't happen this week? Were we all convinced that actually that was probably going to be the final straw? Dave, Dave, what do you think? Um, I thought it probably was, but there was there if, with this football club. There is always a, a, a grain of uh, doubt in the in the back of my mind that it is quite possible that we have signed a manager and a management team on a two-year contract and to get rid of that manager and that management team is going to cost money. And we, we, we know that we are a club without a big budget. So there was, there was always a very good chance it wasn't going to happen, but I, it did just feel those scenes at the end of that game, the old shot game on Tuesday did feel like it was uh, good night Vienna. Well, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've never been to Austria. Ian, uh, did you think that, that that announcement was coming? Yeah, it felt like a matter of time, didn't it? Mm. I think th there's no way anyone who was in that ground who was a decision maker could have possibly thought, let's give him Saturday. Mm. I don't think there's there's no way. And, I, I, you know, and he talks about wanting to bring in more players, didn't he, in his post-match, I think. And I sort of think if you're erring on the side of making the decision of, have, making a change, you're not going to use your budget on players who the next guy may not want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about you, Ben? What did you think? Um, well, it caught me off guard. I was having a shower. Got back out and, <laughs> and the internet had broken. I thought, oh, Christ, here we go. Um, I, I uh, when, when we got to today, I felt like if there was going to be an announcement, it was going to come yesterday. And when I got to today, I thought we would probably, he would get Saturday as well with it being such a big game in the context of the league and that somebody coming in now with what if it's a friday morning appointment around about 36 hours to prepare a team for a potentially season defining fixture might have been a a gamble that wasn't one worth taking at that time and actually a change can happen with sort of the following fixtures against some better sides woking of course are flying at the moment they go next tuesday for example so i thought 
when we got to this morning, I thought if there was going to be a situation, it probably would be post-weekend. So I was a teeny tiny bit surprised, yes. What did you think, Chris? A, have you ever been in that situation? Well, you must have been in that situation in your career. What, what, what did you think at that time? I think some, like from a player's point of view, you kind of know, you kind of like hope sometimes. You're like, come on, this is just, we need something. It's, it's gone far enough now to just need someone fresh to walk in the door. Um, from my point of view, I was like, well, no, because like David's just said about the club and the finances and stuff, that, and then I thought about it, I thought, no, they wouldn't do it because of the finances and I have to pay them off and stuff. But then I thought about it. I thought, wait a minute, in four games, is it not, not scored a goal, not look like creating anything on Tuesday, going into your Saturday. I thought, well, it is, it's good. Like, from my point of view, it's a really positive move from the club um, to do something now um, because it's the right time. So in a way, yes, it's positive for, for the club and a good decision. But I just didn't probably think it was going to happen. Um, because of the financial part of it. How much responsibility do you think we, we've spoken about the, the, the backing that he had or didn't have? And, and we'll come back to that, I'm, I'm sure. How much responsibility do players have to take for this, Chris, do you think? Yeah, so this is what I was thinking. So is it because his recruitment, how many players has he recruited? And is it the fault of the recruitment or is it the fault of the player? I always think there was players fundamentally should take responsibility as well because they are professional footballers, they're getting paid to play football. Um, so yes, they 100% need to take some responsibility and the managers that can only do so much and the coaches can only do so much, but who is, who's his recruitment, like, I don't know, has they come in and they gelled as a team, like I've just said, in terms of they look like individuals rather than team and whose responsibility is that to get them as a team? But first of all, you don't get the, the bad, not saying there are bad eggs, but get the bad egg in, into the building in the first place. Having said that, you can only recruit who you can recruit. So if you've got a budget of little, like compared to other clubs, the better players are going to go to the better clubs. So then you basically got the rest and then you might get a few bad eggs in that and then it's difficult. So, gosh, uh, yes, the players need to take responsibility as well. 100%. Mm. I think that... A little bit. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, it sounds like it was the case on, on Tuesday, but... I. I watching that team at Oldham last Saturday, there, there were just so many players that looked like they'd just given up um, and, and they, they, they weren't even... We always talk about the bare minimum as a footballer being putting the effort in and we've, we've obviously heard the manager talk about players running the socks off and all of that kind of thing and thinking, is that really enough, you know, yeah, to, 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 to just be putting the effort in? If I think if I came into my job and I, and I, and I just, uh, you know, hammered away at my keyboard all day, but I was terrible at it, I'd probably find myself out of work pretty quickly, wouldn't I? But it, it, I, I don't know what you think, guys, but it feels like it's not, not quite enough. And I think there's a few that have got to have a, have a long, hard look at themselves and, and hopefully this, this will you know, snap them out of it and maybe they'll think, yeah, crikey, we've, we've lost a man his job. And I know there's more to it than uh, just the, the, the player's performance, but I do think there's a big slice of responsibility the players have to take. Chris, have you been in, in dressing rooms that are really, really low on confidence? Because that's been my overriding thought of the last four or five games is that we just 
look like a shell of ourselves. I think Grant Smith is the best keeper in the league. I think Josh Staunton is fantastic. I think Charlie Wakefield should be tearing this this division up. I think we've got more than enough. You've talked about Torrey and Linton. I think I think we've got a core group of players that are good enough to be kicking around better positions in this National League than we are currently, but they just look completely shot of all of all confidence. Have you ever been in a dressing room that where the team is just, it's good enough, but it's just feeling completely out of sorts? And, and what does it take to try and even get close to turning that round? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I'd probably say I haven't because it, it, the clubs that I've got sides of, Uh, so these ten potentially are good enough, um, but just just lacking in confidence. Um, so no, I haven't been. Uh, how do you get the confidence back? That's up to, uh, I guess, the individuals and the, and the coach. Um, so yeah, I don't know. But because I went away and looked at what Yeovil's best eleven probably was, and yes, you're right. It's definitely good enough. There's some there's some decent players to do to do reasonably well in this league. Um, I guess it's the strength and depth that comes on the back of that. Um, so, yeah, my fear is, though, in terms of whoever walks in the door, if you've got a lad that's not putting it in or not confident, then that confidence is only going to be sustained for two or three games once that feeling of the new manager walks in the door. After that, you're going to revert back to type. So if your type is lazy and unconfident and not really wanting to put it in, you're going to revert back to type. If you've got not enough good bodies in the room if that makes sense who'd be a football manager hey i know 100 percent. it's a, <laughs> a poisonous challenge because yeah evidently i spoke to some manager the other day you are going to get the sack 99 percent of all football managers are going to get the sack um so it's a really difficult mentality to go into a building with um yes there's not many that haven't got the sack clock has clock ever got the sack uh, good question. Yeah, I'm not sure. There'll be a couple. I think Pep's ever had the sack, has he? But um, yeah, yeah, I think you have to get to that proper elite, don't you? Before yeah. you, yeah, you get into. They can manage their exits, can't they? Yeah. Like Arsene Wenger managed his exit, really. Yeah. He was sacked, but he like, had a whole ceremony before he went, didn't he? Like... <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah. Yeah, quite different. Well. Yeah. So do you guys do you guys think Yeovil at the moment have got enough in the squad? Because I don't know who the new manager was going to recruit. Because if there's going to be money available, and who is who who can he recruit at this stage? Well, that's the the big question, isn't it? I think by the sounds of things, all all the reports are reporting to it being Mark Cooper, who has got a lot of experience. You would assume a lot of contacts for his time, and you know, maybe a more up-to-date contact book than Chris Hargreaves maybe had with experienced players who would have worked with him and feel like they might be up, up for it. I think it's the big thing we've felt we needed was experience in this team, I think, and that was quite clear on Tuesday night. Um, yeah, I kind of feel like if you, you'd like to think those conversations between the... Um, owner and you know a future manager would be honest and transparent about how much he's going to get and so he knows what he's walking into and knows what he needs to do I mean obviously he was at Oldham and saw us 
put on that abject display. So he he'll know what players he wants and what players he's going to line up. I would have thought if he's been in the you know, it sounds like he may have been lined up, you know, for a week or so, doesn't it? To to come in so more experience if he can get it and hopefully those relationships and those contacts with players he's got will bear fruit but he sounds like the type of bloke who's probably got a core group of players who <laughs> know that they like to work with him so we'll have people that will want to follow him maybe i think it's that we've spoken week after week haven't we about needing someone in 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 midfield that sort of midfield general like you had with uh maybe we, we spent all our season complaining about Dale Gorman, but uh, now he's gone. We're thinking, oh, actually, yeah, there's a, there's, there's a lot they did bring to the game that, uh, that, that we could have. And then the obvious one is someone who can score goals uh, mm. because that's that's exactly what we don't have at the moment. I think we've we've got players that could score a few goals, but you, yeah, there needs to be someone who's going to be a, a at least semi-consistent goal scorer in, in, in that. And, yeah, they don't grow on trees do they so and uh, and 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 it comes down to the budget it comes down to what they're willing to do because um i wrote a a very brief piece after chris hargreaves gone saying this is a good man you know he's a good football man i'm sure he's a great coach in uh in youth football uh who obviously hasn't managed it at any level as a as a frontline manager for for some time and he's he's obviously come in he's you can see by the players that he's brought in that he hasn't had the support that um that he needed to realize the ambitions and the ambition stated ambitions of the owner directors everybody is to to make it back to the football league not this season um but but at some point there's been no progress has been made we saw Darren Sahl struggle um last season with the budget that he had, and we can only assume for the players that we brought in, which are with the greatest of respect, um, free transfers, um, you know, kids to a lot of the extent, or, or players who are coming to the the end of their careers, uh, the, the likes of um, Alex Fisher, Jamie Record to a degree, experienced heads, but experienced heads who are in the you know, the autumn of their careers. That just tells you everything you need to know about the budget that's available, and you could put Houdini in the uh, in the manager chair. You could put Pep Guardiola. If you're not going to give them the support, then they're not going to be able to meet the expectations. And if the expectations are to be challenging for the football league, it ain't going to happen, is it? But let's just let's just hope if it is Mark Cooper, and we all seem to think it is, then he's uh, pinned someone down to the floor and said, "Right, you're giving me that." Got a check in it, got an IOU in advance, maybe. <laughs> Quite an image you've painted there, Dave. There you go. Yeah. 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 Pin Mark someone Coop- down to the floor and demanded an IOU. I've just got this image of Mark Cooper in a wrestling ring, possibly <laughs> in some sort of wrestling move with, yeah. with the owners of the Oval Town Football Club. That's a very strange image I have in my that head. It's right a now. very strange image. Yeah. 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 Um, Too much but- cheese before bedtime. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh dear. Um, I think now feels like an okay time. I had a bit of a chat with Ian Randall, who was alongside Chris actually on Tuesday. I recorded it a little bit earlier, and he not only was there at Aldershot, and we had a bit of a chinwag about that, but he also knows Mark Cooper quite well from his time covering Forest Green Rovers when he was there. He had some very interesting thoughts on tactics that Mark Cooper would likely employ, the style that Mark Cooper likely will go with 
and how he isn't afraid to shake things up a bit. Right, guys, Glovercast Ben here, and we've got another special guest for you now. Delighted to welcome BBC Somerset's lead commentator for the Older Shot game, Ian Randall, to the podcast. Ian, how are you, sir? Ben, I'm very well. Uh, pleasure to be with you. First, in, first invitation. Thank you so much for taking time out of your of, of your evening to, to spend a few minutes with us. Um, we reached out to you um, a couple of days ago to say, hey, you're at the Older Shot game, you were leading the commentary you might be able to provide a bit of a neutral uh, voice on, on things that you saw and things that you heard. But football doesn't really work uh, in our schedules, does it? It's been a long 72 hours for Yeovil Town fans. Uh, let me firstly take you back to Aldershot and specifically pre-Aldershot, actually, because you were obviously scheduled in to do the game, to work for the BBC. When you were doing your prep, what were you expecting that game to look like and feel like? And, and did it live to those expectations? Truthfully, I thought it had nil-nil written all over it. <laughs> you weren't the only because, one. <laughs> because Yeovil had struggled to score goals. All the shot were coming in with a bit of a bounce, having beaten York at home on the Saturday. And they also had a different voice in the dressing room because Terry Brown had been put in interim charge. And I know he's 70, but he's had a lot of managerial experience. And that doesn't go to waste, by and large, when... A manager is put into a uh, an interim situation. Um, the game as a whole, uh, obviously, it's my first sighting of Yeovil of this season. Between the two boxes, actually not terrible. Defensively, not terrible. Cutting edge, terrible. <laughs> Just nothing at all at the front. And to coin a phrase from the long-serving manager at Notts County, Jimmy Cyril, back in the day, if you didn't score, you didn't win. And that, I'm afraid, it looked to be the way things were heading. And 20 minutes from the end, I said to Chris Wheel, Aldershot might pinch this because Yeovil were getting pinned in and it just needed one, either one good bit of play or one mistake. And as it happened, Harfield had been quite poor on his crosses during the match, but he found a good one um, and Phillips met it. And, and that was it. The second goal for Aldershot was a bonus. It was probably one of the best moves in the match, actually. And Willard took the goal well. But the reaction of the supporters at the end was very telling. In fact, there was a moment in the first half where the ball was crossed from the right. It went to the far side of the box. It wasn't put back in. And it went all the way back to the halfway line and the crowd was starting to get, in, get very sort of feet shuffly at that point. Uh, and I think that transmitted itself. The side looked bereft of confidence. It's funny you, you mentioned that because that was kind of going to be my next, my next question is that it was audible. I was, I was listening in. I thought you and Chris were very open, very honest and, and were describing very well what, what you were seeing. But it was audible in the background, the moans and the groans at times. It was a little bit more than moans and groans, actually, at times in the game that were kind of much ado about nothing. But as the game wore on and the goals eventually went in, it became quite vociferous. And one of the words that we've had described to us is it became quite toxic. Would you agree? Um, so the crowd wasn't that big, but I so 2,300 or thereabouts and all the shot brought a couple of hundred, I think. 
but the supporters in the home end certainly were were voicing their their opinions that it was unsatisfactory from their point of view and i think it's been a build-up over the last month or so particularly with the two games against taunton and i listened to the second one of those and it did sound as if once taunton got their noses in front they were going to win and i said to chris again during commentary on tuesday it's a horrible position to be in when the opposition can probably go into their dressing room and say right we get one here we we can win this we only need one because yobel didn't look a threat and i'm afraid it is quite a big job for whoever seeds, succeeds Chris Hargreaves. And he came into the job out of academy and development football. And Chris Todd the same. And to me now, it's not a job for that sort of coach. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to touch on sort of what's next in a moment or two. But of course, as part of your role with the BBC, you spoke to Chris both pre and post match. Pre match, you were talking, um, obviously, we were, we were all surprised and, and quite pleasantly so at the change of formation and that some of the personnel changes that were made. What impression did you get from Chris Hargreaves pre match and how much did that change to the post match uh, chat that you had with him? Because he struck a very different figure. Yes, I mean, I think, I think pre-match, I was surprised by the selection. And when you boiled it down, he changed the front six in the team and he dropped Staunton into the defence. Now, that didn't appear to weaken the defence as far as I was concerned, but it did mean it was a four and not a three with, with, with the wing-backs. Now, as regards the midfield... The game passed Worthington by for me, um, and he didn't really have a big impression on it. And as a result, because of the way Aldershot played with three centre-backs, they had three in the midfield, and Yeovil didn't really get a grip of it there. It meant that the service forward wasn't great. And as I said to Chris before the game, if you've got a three, the danger is that the one in the middle gets a bit too isolated and that's what that's what happened with Fisher so he was he was quite upbeat before the game as you'd expect he'd made the decision to switch the formation to try and do something else because what had happened previously hadn't worked at the end he tried to sidestep it but I said look was that in a sense a defense of the 3-5-2 so okay you've asked me to change it I've changed it it hasn't worked and he he sort of budged grounded a bit but he was clearly, he was walking on eggshells. I think he, 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 he could read the mood music after the game. He was trying to be as, as, be as defensive as possible for his players, I think. It's almost impossible to answer this next question. Um, in terms of the effort being put on, was there any evidence that the players had 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 departed i i'm I'm, has did did you get the impression that chris hargreaves had lost the dressing room in terms of effort and sort of relaying of instructions to them difficult for me to say based on the fact that i haven't seen them before but i didn't i didn't see a lack of effort what i saw was probably a lack of belief and whether Uh, that is whether that is because the system was changed I don't know. And, you know, we talk about spines of teams in football, don't we, by and large? And 
the, the spine on Tuesday was arguably Smith, Staunton, Worthington and Fisher. Now that's all right, but you need you need a bit more around it. If it if that's the spine and there's less ability and experience around it, then in the National League you're probably struggling. I like that line about no lack of effort, but definitely um, a lack of belief. And I think that's the main area for me that I think a new manager will have to come in. Now, we should stipulate we are recording this just after 7pm on Thursday night. And as of the exact time of recording, no new manager has been confirmed. Um, I think it's probably the right way to say the Glovers cast has been led to believe, our sources tell us, that Mark Cooper, formerly of Barrow, formerly of Swindon, formerly of Forest Green Rovers, will be named the new Yeovil Town manager at some point ahead of the weekend. We don't exactly know when, and chances are um, it'll happen by the time this podcast goes, possibly even goes live. So it kind of div- divulges our little subject a little bit here because we then think, OK, who can we get that can possibly talk a little bit about Mark Cooper? Well, you happen to have spent a bit of time covering Forest Green Rovers as well. So you can kind of do a bit of that for us as well. If it is to be Mark Cooper, as we believe it is to be Mark Cooper, he comes uh, with a uh, reputation of being quite abrasive as a manager, a take-no-rubbish kind of guy, in your experience, sort of working, covering a Forest Green Rovers side managed by Mark Cooper. What do you think Glovers fans can expect over the coming days, weeks, months, and, and possibly seasons? So I'll just start by saying that when I saw the announcement today about Chris Huggins going, I tried to rack my brains in terms of who a successor might be. And I had three names on a piece of paper. He was one of them. I will tell you who the other two were. The other two were Ben Strevens, who had three and a half years at Eastleigh, um, uh, but lost his job earlier this year, and Paul Tisdale whose stock is probably, if we're honest, not what it was at, at, at some points in his career. But let's go with the Mark Cooper scenario. Um, so, yes, I did uh, work with him, so to speak. Um, not all the time, but on occasions, covering Forest Green. Um, he likes tactically... Three, five, two. He likes wing backs. That was one of the big things that you saw at Forest Green. And he also liked what he used to call a box midfield, which was two sitters and two attacking midfielders with one striker. So that's a system that he liked to use. Um, I also would say that he would probably bring Richard Dryden with him as his assistant, he's been his assistant at a couple of jobs. And he is a trader of players. That's what I would call him. Um, the stat at Forest Green was something like he signed or he made over a hundred signings in five years, and that is loans and permanents. Now you're gonna have a, a hit rate somewhere in the middle of some of those will be good, some will be poor, some will be in between. Um, but the telling thing for me was, I think the stat was something like 40 of those players played fewer than 20 matches. So, you know, players on half-season loans often not extended. Players on short-term deals often not extended. Um, I think his relationship with players could be described as a bit hot and cold. 
Some he gets along with, but if you don't get along with him, it's not a question of you working your way back in. It's probably there's the door you can walk through it. Um, now, just as an aside, he did recruit some people who were sold for a lot of money. Ethan Pinnock, now at Brentford, went from Forest Green to Barnsley. Liam Kitchen went from Forest Green to Barnsley. Um, people like Christian Doidge, Carl Winchester, um, Rhys Brown, who's now back there but was sold to Huddersfield. They have made money out of some of their players that he recruited. And there would be a, a small core who would stay for longer than a couple of seasons. But I think in this instance, Yo will have to be looking at what remains for the rest of this season. And although they signed, I think if you include you and Clark, I think it's nine permanents and five loans since Chris Hargreaves took charge. That's 14. I would not be surprised to see Mark Cooper sign 14 players if he's allowed to revamp the squad. That's the sort of manager he is. He will trade players to try and get what he wants. Has he had much experience working without much of a budget? Because the purse strings are tight these days at most clubs, not just Yeovil. I'm not trying to say this is a Yeovil issue, but do you think that that ability to trade and to possibly get the best out of some potentially valuable assets, Yeovil have got a couple of youngsters that they do like the look of at the moment and, and might be sort of saleable assets in the future. Do you think he's a person that can produce sort of a, a way of turning um, pennies into, into, into pounds? So, obviously, he worked at Swindon. I don't know what the financial position was at Swindon when he was there. At Forest Green, I would say he was well-backed. I don't think the budget at Barrow would have been that big. But I suspect it's, at Yeovil, it's, it's smaller. Um, but he is walking into a job and into a league, or into a league, shall we say, that he does know and is familiar with. And interestingly, too, if you look at the, the teams around the bottom of the table, I'm just thinking this off the top of my head here, Aldershot have made a change. Um, Scunthorpe have made a change. Gateshead and, Ma and Maidstone have both come up. So Mike Williamson and uh, Hakan Heratin have got some credit there. Torquay have stuck at the moment with Gary Johnson, but I think he's feeling the heat a little bit. Mm -hmm. And now, but he's an experienced manager. And I think, arguably, Yeovil needed somebody with Cooper's experience for this job. It might be a firefighting exercise for this season, would be my uh, up some of it. And you might see, he's got to persuade people to, to come, potentially only on short-term deals. That's, that's the challenge for him. Again, I appreciate you've only seen 90 minutes of football this season, but from what you saw, we, 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 we're quite happy with the players that we retained, especially from last season, the extension of Matt Worthington, Josh Staunton staying, Grant Smith staying. Um, we love the fact that Lawson Diaz stayed, uh, Charlie Wakefield, who I know didn't play on Tuesday. Do you think there's enough in that squad that Mark Cooper is able to get more out of the core current group in the very immediate future, possibly even Saturday and Tuesday, a couple of massive games coming up. That will be that will be a real challenge of his motivation skills, isn't it? You know, what does a different voice do? Sometimes for players, that does um, 
it does influence them. And you, you can expect him, and I know we've, we've painted this rather mixed picture of this rather, you know, prickly manager, but he's going to be on a charm offensive initially, isn't he, with, with those players. He's got to get them on side until he assesses who he kind of wants to pick and who he thinks, right, I'm sorry, you're not up to it. Not yet, perhaps. Um, and I go back to the point about trading players. I know that it's it's early, but I wouldn't be surprised if if the owners got to say, right, I need to give you some money because we can't let this carry on for another month. We've got to make sort of an instant bounce impact here if we can. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. We're in the middle of a of a of a spell of games where we were kind of hoping to to pick up points and to not get anything out of Oldham and not get anything out of Aldershot. It puts an awful lot of pressure on the Maidstone and Woking games. Um, Ian, you're not you're not in for the Maidstone game, I believe. I believe it's going to be someone else at the helm. So I'll take this opportunity to say thank you very much for your coverage. I thought you and Wheelie were were absolutely fantastic on Tuesday night. Really managed to paint the picture well. And it's not easy when the team you are covering isn't doing particularly well. And obviously being on BBC Somerset, you're talking to a predominantly Yeovil Town audience. So I, I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate you taking the time and just giving us a, a little insight into what we can probably, I think it's better to say, expect out of Mark Cooper over the, over the coming weeks. So I just want to say a, a huge thank you, Ian. I really appreciate your time. Uh, pleasure, Ben. And it was interesting to call the game with Chris on uh, Tuesday, who I thought was an absolute pleasure to do it with, by the way. Um, and... Just to look at, as he put it, to look at the team with two fresh pairs of eyes, which sometimes just gives you a different perspective on, yes, there is a problem, or no, there isn't a problem. Um, but the biggest issue that Mark Cooper has to solve is to how to get more goals into that team. Without that, the ship will not turn around. That is the million pound question, almost quite literally, if it goes very, very badly this season. Ian, thank you so much for your time and thank you for being on the Glovers Cast. We're back in the room now. Thanks very much to Ian Randall, who has uh, given us some of his time. Ian was uh, speaking there and we were, we were just chatting um, during that little piece actually about, about the serious change in tact we think the football club is going to go under potentially under Mark Cooper he can be a bit divisive he is going to rattle a few cages and, and ruffle some feathers in the process um, Chris someone who comes in a bit of a fire starter going to, going to like I say rattle some cages do you think from the quality that we have got on paper the old cliche that someone coming in, providing a bit of a spark, has enough to do what we need them to do this season and then hopefully start to grow beyond that? Um, yes, I would say. So looking at his record, looking at his win percentage, hearing what he's about, um, he's not going to he's not gonna let games pass him by. He's not going to let players underperform. He's going to demand a lot from each player and each game and each moment. So... Yeah, absolutely. I'd say it would be enough to stay up. Would it be enough to get promoted in the future? Potentially, he's, he's been promoted once out of this league already. Um, my concern is that his, um, in terms of personnel and recruitment, he continually changes and 
and um, is that good for success in terms of continuity of a squad and keeping players knowing that they're playing and knowing the cohesion of the team? Um, that would be my only concern. But I'd say from a from a yeah, fans' point of view, it's going to be it's, it would be a positive positive move for the club. Ian, are you happy with someone who's been there and done it in this division before? Gone out of yeah. it in 17 with Forest Green? Well, that's sort of what we wanted in the summer, really, wasn't it? I think I, I sort of felt we needed experience, someone who'd been around the block and, you know, yeah, got out of the league would, would have been a plus um, and managed in the EFL. It'd be interesting to know if he was one of the candidates that applied initially who were still available obviously we know Jamie McAllister went for it and didn't get it back along so now he's at Hibs isn't he with Lee Johnson um so yeah I think I mean it ticks the boxes from an experience standpoint but I guess from a club strategy standpoint we go in the total opposite direction a little bit with sort of project youth under Chris Hargreaves and Chris Todd to short-term six months results at all costs and it's kind of, you know, back again to resetting. And, hope you know, hopefully that continuity with, you know, Matt at the um, EDPD, EDDPDP um, program will, you know, allow that continuity. And there will still be that pipeline. But it sounds like we'll have a manager who is less inclined to bring Ben Jarni on for 10 at the end to, you know, make a, make a cameo. But Dave, in terms of... Um... What we need right here, right now, we need a bit of a firefighter, don't we, just to stop the rot and 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 turn the ship around. Hang on, is he a firefighter or a fire starter? Both. He's both. Yeah, <laughs> both. Yeah. He will start a fire, and then he will grow, put you over his shoulder and lead you out of it. So Set and, fire to rattling cages. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it is absolutely. It is what we. It is what we need. We do need somebody who's going to uh, to, to to get us results. I think, but. It, it does come down to the the long term nature of it. Is this just someone that we bring in to um, to shore things up? What what comes after that? We've heard so much about long term visions that the club has spoken about um, off the pitch that we're we're still waiting to hear more detail on. Uh, and I think on the pitch we we don't really have. Uh, that we mentioned there about the project youth being this this idea that at least felt like a, a bit of an ethos didn't it but but now if we if we if we are changing that that's going to be a good thing hopefully and as much as um it might uh, snap us out of it and get us um playing the right way i mean does it feel it, it, it feels very darren sarley doesn't it it has a darren sarl feel to it which I don't think we were unhappy with, uh, maybe at points during the Darren Sahl era we were. But um, uh, I, I think when we look what Darren Sahl's done now at Woking with backing, you can see how it becomes, keeps coming back to that, doesn't it? Coming back to backing. Chris, when you're in a changing room and there's been a manager change, for whatever reason, whether someone's moved on to a better job or someone's been sacked, what are you looking for from a new manager completely new to the building on day one. What are you looking forward to them coming into the dressing room and saying to you, the current group of players? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think for me, it's just about, it always was about enjoying the football. So if you can create an environment that's not negative and not fearful, 
not saying Chris Hargreaves did this at all, but if you can come in and you're going to enjoy coming to work every day and then your performance is going to improve. And my concern is that doesn't always happen, especially at, at a national league level. Um, and yeah, that I don't think, well, I don't know the guy, but would, is, he, is he a manager that plays on people's fears rather than plays on their enjoyment and their enthusiasm for the game? I don't know, but just looking out from outside and I've met him a couple of times in terms of an opposition's um, dugouts and stuff. He might not be that kind of manager, but who knows? Um, but that's how I was personally. Other players might want someone different, might want someone effing and blinding them and screaming at them and shouting at them. So everyone was different. So just an equal fair playing field though for me as well. So no matter what you've done in the past, everyone starts again and, and goes from there. And no one, they don't have any preconceived ideas about any players or that's, that's a really fair point because there are players we've we've mentioned the, the name Jake Scrimshaw, the forgotten man on this podcast a number of times. Didn't even make the squad on Tuesday night. It's been completely missing. Will Buse hasn't kicked a ball yet, albeit in behind the best keeper in the league in Grant Smith, for example. But do you think that that will open up other players within the squad to go? I've got a completely clean slate here. I can show this new manager what I'm about and start to get my run that I think I deserve. Yeah, definitely. Me and me and Jalzy talked about Torre the other night. Like, why did he not start? Because he didn't play, have a good 45 minutes on Saturday. But for me, watching him, and he watched him the other day and said, all you need is put an arm around his shoulder and say, look, just go and enjoy yourself and entertain the crowd and create chances and just be you. Um, was he allowed that? I don't know. But for example, when new manager coming in could just go, look, you're, you are going to win games for us. You're going to create chances for us. Just go and play and we'll work out the rest, if that makes sense. Just depends what the kind of man management style is. Um, but yeah, absolutely. So he'll probably be rubbing his hands, maybe, Tori. I don't know how he, how he got on with Chris. I don't know. But certain players would be. They'd be like, right, this is great. This is a new opportunity for me. That makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. It makes an awful lot of sense. And I think... I think you can see it working both ways because we have heard certain people say Matt Worthington, who we all really like here, has said that he enjoyed playing under Chris Hargreaves because it gave him the freedom to be the senior man in a midfield that used to have Dale Gorman running the show for him. And he got that opportunity and obviously a, a, a potential change of tactic. Ian talked about having the box midfield. Does that mean that someone like Matt Worthington's role changes slightly? We don't know. We shall wait and see and of course plenty of lone players within the within the club as well will suddenly be thinking hang on things are going to change here I'm not getting the same management and possibly the same opportunities that I thought I was getting as well so it can work it can work both ways I guess yeah yeah absolutely yeah. and assuming he comes in before the weekend the first place it has to work nice segue here oh, uh, is Mayston in Kent, because that's where we're all heading on Saturday. And I caught up with Joe, a um, Mayston fan, who told us a little bit about what we can all expect from uh, a trip down to Kent. Okay, so this is Dave, and I am joined tonight by Joe, who is a Maidstone United fan, uh, who describes himself as uh, one of a number of uh, Maidstone fans who does some commentary, but also has, um, he does a little bit of his own stuff on the side. So we'll find out what that's all about. But firstly, Joe, uh, welcome to the Glovers cast. Thank you very much. It's uh, it is a pleasure to be on. 
Ah, very kind of you to say so. So go on to start with, what's the bit on the side that you do? Um, so I've got my own YouTube channel. It's been a little bit inconsistent lately. Uh, just got my first full-time job. So just into that a little bit. Um, but I just do previews, reviews of games, uh, informational videos on fans who might not know too much about players coming in or ongoings around the club. So just anything that I know or find out through people that I know at the club, kind of make videos, just letting the wider Maystone fan base find out about that. Cool. So what's the what's the YouTube uh, called? Just it's called people... JP on comms. JP on comms. There you go. Go go check that out. But um, first of all, we obviously wanted to uh, speak about this is Mason's first season for a good while, I think, um, back mm. in the uh, in the in, in the National League. We'll talk about how exactly it is going. But uh, I mean, d- just tell us a bit for Yeovil uh, fans who might not know a great deal about Maidstone. It came up last season. What's the sort of um, the setup of the club? Is it uh, a fairly typical, is it like a, a smaller division side? Um, well, we typically operate as a hybrid system. So it's not quite professional, but it's not quite semi-professional. So we kind of have a blend of a mixture really between full-time training and not full-time training so i think we have three sessions a week um but it again the setup isn't quite a fully professional club um it's very uncommon i think to have this sort of hybrid system in place but it seemingly works for us um we were a lot bigger i think than a lot of clubs in the national south last season but then when it comes to being back in the national league we're now starting to find out that we're maybe not quite as big as we were in comparison, yeah. considering the size and stature of a lot of the clubs in the National League. Yeah, I mean, remember Yeovil playing at Maidstone in the FA Cup uh, maybe two, three, perhaps even four seasons ago now in a... Uh, got the programme there. Oh, there you go. He's got the programme pinned up on a board right behind <laughs> you. Fantastic, yeah. And uh, I think the one thing that I remember is obviously the pitch. Everyone remembers the artificial pitches, don't they? And I think that was a, probably a bit of a rarity uh, when we played you then. But it was, a, it was a pretty vociferous home support, if I remember rightly. Does that... Um, does that continue? I seem to recall you having ultras at one point. Is that, <laughs> they still exist? Um, the ultras is more uh, of, of a youth kind of nature now. Uh, a lot of the under 18s are the more staunch, outspoken amongst the uh, fan base. Not to say there's not uh, a lot of you know older people who do get involved in some of that stuff as well. But I think with a fan base the size of ours, you know you're gonna always expect to have a few people who are a little bit more full on than others. Um, but you know the general thing around the club is is pretty family friendly it's quite good so yeah we're, we're trying to rectify i think a little bit with some problems we had last season um regarding some of the younger fans and stuff but everything's been pretty good so far this season i think okay fantastic and i mean let's talk about it on the pitch obviously as you say come up from from national league south as um discovered there's a lot of teams with big budgets in, in 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 this division. I mean, how how have you found it? I mean, have you have you enjoyed um, the, the the level of competition? I know not winning every week makes it harder to enjoy. I imagine. Yeah, it is tough. It really is a tough transition. I think um, myself and a lot of Maystone fans, some more than me, um, have really struggled to go from you know kind of winning every week especially at home we had a 15 game win streak at home last season at one point um and then came into the national league and lost that almost straight away so you know it's it's really tough um going along with that transition but i think fans will learn to deal with that i think you know if we manage to stay in the national league this season of course that's the aim 
um, next season fans will be more accepting of the fact that you can't win every week. There's a lot of teams in this league who we will lose to no matter how well we play. You know, I think even at Wrexham, Wrexham had a, uh, a good game. But I think no matter how well we played against them, you know, the quality they possess, they could have a four out of 10. We could have an eight out of 10 performance and it'd probably still be a pretty even result. So, yeah, big adjustment for a lot of fans. But hopefully uh, we do manage to get there in terms of expectation throughout the season. I was going to say, you've mentioned, I think you've answered the question there. I mean, that is the expectation is just just stay in this division. That, that would make everybody happy. Yeah, I think so. I mean, before the season... Um, we had a little supporters evening. So a lot of the fans, you know, it's kind of like an open invite, come down, uh, listen to the manager speaking. Some of the uh, owners were there as well. And they kind of not really mapped out, but kind of stated a little bit of a, you know, we're aiming for top 10 this season. That was kind of what they said. And a lot of fans kind of reacted to that in a, well, something big must have to happen for that to come through um, and a lot of fans I think um, kind of predict us to be in that maybe 16th to 20th you know they're just staying up maybe yeah. a little bit more comfortable than that and then when we heard this 10th place coming out from one of the owners everybody thought wow like right okay so the bar's there and I think now because we're not meeting that a lot of fans are taking that quite harshly you know we've not really seen the stuff put in place to achieve that top 10 um, so yeah it's a little bit tough trying to gauge expectations but coming into it myself included um was in that kind of 16th to 20th range yeah that is quite a target in a top 10 yeah, i mean we, yeah. we we at Yeovil will be very very happy with a top 10 finish yeah i the, think uh, the majority of teams way. in the league would be and rightly yeah. so it's a very tough uh division yeah yeah okay well uh, i mean just finally i just wondering whether you might be able to tell us a bit i say a, a number of fans will have traveled down to the fa cup game a few years but I mean, what can Yeovil fans traveling to mayston expect from the ground the facilities and, and also the team who is maybe some of the players that we should be looking out for um, well, in terms of facilities, I like to think we've got a pretty good ground. Um, it's quite well looked after in the grand scheme of things. Um, it's a lot better than a lot of away grounds that I've been to personally. That is, of course, maybe a little bit biased, but um, we tend to look after fans pretty well. There's obviously quite a lot of back and forth between our fans and away fans the majority of the time. But big away followings often get a pretty good reception. I think the atmosphere uh, is often contributed to quite a lot from that. We've seen big, big away followings this season from the like South End, even just uh, the last game, you know, brought down uh, like 500 or so fans and, you know, atmosphere was pretty good then despite the loss from us as well. So, you know, we're hoping, uh, I think, just to get out of this Yeovil game, uh, a good atmosphere, that's always a good thing, help build on the game. Um, but I think Yeovil fans can expect to see a struggle in Maystone side, but one that has got just glimmers of quality in there that could shine through. We have got players in the side like Rory Deacon, Regan Booty, Sam Corn, Jack Barham, all players who, you know, on their day, especially last season, could pull anything out of the bag. You know, goals from anywhere, passes which can cut through entire teams. So, yeah, there's a little bit of killer quality in there, but just sleeping at the moment, I think. So I think Maystone fans will be looking for that kind of awakening against Yeovil, but yeah, it's going to be an interesting one.
Okay, right. Well, we're, we're, we're looking forward to, uh, to, to traveling down. I'm sure there'll be a, a good number there from Yeovil. Obviously, with the change of manager at our place, uh, we'll wait and see what that does with regards to uh, sparking our fortunes back into life. But, um, but yeah, Joe, firstly, thanks very much for coming on. Hopefully, we'll get you back on when uh, you are at our place later in the season. And um, I, I wish you all the best of luck, obviously, after Saturday. <laughs> Thank you very much. Same goes for yourself as well. And uh, Yeovil as well. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Joe. Thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you very much, mate. You three have got a very good dynamic, you know. All three of you are absolute plebs. You three have got a very good dynamic, you know. All three of you are absolute plebs. You three have got a very good dynamic, you know. All three of you are absolute plebs. Okay, well, thanks to Joe. That sounds like uh, directors or uh, members of the club management setting unrealistic expectations may not be something that is just the Oval Oval Town problem. But um, there's one thing I do remember about when we played there in the Cup a few years ago was a a, a plastic pitch. Chris, Chris, what's your experiences of playing on 3D surfaces before? Are they... uh... You played in that game. No, I was just going to say that. I thought oh, I you did, that, didn't you? Yeah. Of course yeah, you did, did, yeah. You yeah, came yeah. off the bench because oh, well. Arthur got sent off. That's right, That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I was just thinking that. Was that Maidstone? And yeah. Yeah, not the nicest of the pitches, that one. Some 3Gs are lovely, really like thick and lush and nice and almost like grass. Similar like Dorchester's is lovely. That was like compressed and obviously loads of kids have been playing on the evenings and stuff and they hadn't. You need to look after it every week. You should like kind of put a tractor on it and, and fluff it up again. Mm. Clearly that hasn't been, and it's really compacted and horrible to play on, but others are really nice to play on. Yeah. Um, we've been <laughs> but this ain't one of them. <laughs> no, no, not what I remember anyway, not no. what I remember. But we're just been to Valencia actually for a football camp with the school I work at. And um, again, similar, they've got three or four three Gs, but they clearly I haven't been looking after them. And they're really hard and compressed and solid and the goalies didn't like, playing on them but then my lads just trained at Dorchester the last couple of days and he said he loved it he said it's really like springy and bouncy and all fluffed up and really nice so um yeah it just depends on how they've looked after the 3G. Okay. It was seven years ago have you stopped picking the little black bobbles out from your socks yet? <laughs> I know but me and uh Arthur was uh we, we found this article online about those black little things and how uh it was causing cancers in certain goalies because it doesn't sound good but um, because the rubber tyres they were using were not the proper grade or something. So in America, a couple of goalies got cancer from getting like the bits in there, like swallowing them and stuff. And yeah, I know. Yeah, really. Because they just go everywhere. The black bits go absolutely everywhere. So now like Exeter have got one at their training ground. They've got cork instead of um, instead of tyre. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's different types you can you can now use. But I think you have to have a proper good quality grade of rubber now. Um, those little black bits but yeah not not a nice story sorry (laughs) yeah anybody who plays five-a-side football is probably not along thinking yeah i've got a pile of black rubber bits uh uh, stuck everywhere Uh, (laughs) but yeah i mean it sounds like it's gonna be it sounds like it's gonna be a bit of a scrap ben from what i can uh from from what i can tell because they obviously need the points as well i mean what do you think uh if you and i obviously saw last weekend what do you think we can we can do in such a short space as time? So I would argue that our goal-scoring woes have never had a better chance to be put right because Maidstone have conceded a lot of goals this season, 36 as it stands. The issue is we've obviously conceded, we've obviously scored the fewest in the division, 12. 
So, 36 goals is an awful lot. It is the most um, in, in, in total. What I would say is a lot like us, is they're having their goal-scoring woes as well. 3-0 loss, 3-0 loss, 1-0 loss to need a market. Who would lose to a lower league club in the, in the FA Cup? Um, who would lose to need a market in a cup? In match? a cup who competition. Would, who would yeah, exactly. dare do that? Um, and even when they sort of, they had a really good game against Barnet, I was looking back at the numbers, but they just could never get going. They ended up conceding four goals and it, it was a 4-3 defeat. So even when they're scoring, they're conceding as well. So I'm hoping that the game will open up. And if there is such a thing, and we'll grab the old cliche bingo out now, new manager bounce, and suddenly Charlie Wakefield feels like he can put on a performance and, and get back in the squad. Suddenly Jimmy Torre feels like he has the freedom to do whatever he wants. Alex Fisher, Malachi Linton, Ollie Holbert, Ewan Clark, whoever it may be, has that freedom and is given that freedom by whomever is in charge on Saturday afternoon in the dugout or in the stands or whoever it may be we have to genuinely consider it a chance to maybe score more than one goal. How nice would that be? That will make my 8am train out of Preston seem a, uh, you know, an absolute genius decision. Won't it? What time are you back in at home? I'm not going to tell you because it would just upset me. Is it Sunday? Uh, not quite. Not no. quite Sunday. There's- there's, there's about there's about 40 minutes of Saturday left by the time I by the time I by the time my train gets back in yeah, <laughs> yeah. things you do for this football club I think coach. I think I think I described it as an addiction doesn't it and that is that is like um you know send him to rehab kind of uh, addiction isn't it I think yeah. what would your overall yeah. rehab look like let's not go there no. <laughs> just yeah. just watching video clips of Chris's headed goal on on yeah. the Oh yeah, yeah. That, no, that's that all. That's all I would do. Yeah. Uh, I thought that wasn't going to get mentioned. <laughs> you can't come on a podcast with the, about Yeovil fans and not have us mention your goal, Chris. Come on. Yeah. We oh, yeah. we haven't spoken to Chris since the Legends game, have we? But oh, um, wow. I think based on your Legends game performance, you could probably still give it a go, can you? Yeah, right. I quite enjoyed that, and I quite enjoyed someone saying, like, sitting a couple of fans sang and signing up or something. I was quite pleased with it. <laughs> <laughs> I could go away and tell my kids that. Well, they came to watch, but um, you did get hooked yeah, like, at 3 0 down, though. No, I know, and that's what my daughter said. She said, Daddy, you conceded three goals, you did rubbish. And I was like, Well, actually, <laughs> I mean, I made some all right saves as well. Yeah. But yeah, I did, I did get the curly finger at three goals. Yeah. <laughs> Collis came on and saved us. It's fine, don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, well, I enjoyed it. It was really good, really good afternoon. Yeah. It was a really good... We, we talked a little bit about the atmosphere earlier at Hewish Park from Tuesday night, but give me that atmosphere that we had on that Legends yeah. Day. Sun shining, glorious weather, beers were flowing, and genuinely yeah. one of the best atmospheres I've ever seen at Hewish Park. And we've had some packed out crowds and some massive games there, but that felt so jovial for the amazing calls. It was awful. Yeah, yeah. Mm. That's what, to be fair, me and Giles were talking about on a Tuesday night, how we used to get five, six, seven, eight thousand people in the stadium watching week in, week out. And kind of, it's a really, I mean, the crowd was okay on Tuesday night, but it's really not sad to see but it's disappointing to see that but the crowd the fans do need something to shout about and need something to enjoy coming to watch so the biggest thing for me from Saturday for for Saturday and what we didn't see on Tuesday was no player like it was all pretty and nice but no player just went into someone and absolutely smashed them or that real hunger and desire to win the ball back and I don't think anyone got booked for Yeovil until I don't think anyone did 
it's just then we were talking about are you is your team a reflection on the manager so for example if Cooper, when Cooper comes in he's a hard man and probably I don't know it wants to his team will be more aggressive and are you a reflection of your the manager a reflection of the team and, and their personalities I guess maybe maybe that's a reason why again he didn't succeed as well so I don't know we just were talking about him Chris and what Sorry, carry on. No, God, I was going to ask, if you could drop one player from that conference-winning team of yours into that game Tuesday night to rattle a few cages, a lot of cages being rattled tonight on the podcast, no idea why, um, but if you could drop one player in to make a difference, Ooh. who would you pick? You're in lab one. You're in lab oh, one. God, that's a, that's a really good question. Oh, my God. Uh, no, yeah, it'd be Terry Skiverton, definitely. Purely for the organisational and leadership side. So... Staunton could have then pushed on into like the CDM role. Um, yeah, probably Skiver, I'd say, yeah. Who would you pick then? That would be interesting. I will, I'll be honest with you. I do dream of a team of both Skivers and Staunton in it. That would, I would die a happy man if I had those two in the yeah. same side. There's a part of me that thinks either or Johnson or Way in the middle. I think we need that midfield. Not afraid to bomb on. I'd, maybe I'd choose Johnson just because I feel like he'd be the one slightly happier to go beyond the front line and get in and nick in and, and find a goal. But at the same time, he's snapping at heels, he's winning headers and being horrible in the middle of the park. But actually, he can then play and get involved and be creative yeah. at the same time. So uh, yeah. at the smallest of margins, just Lee Johnson. Yeah, OK. Anyone Anyone else want to differ from the lads here? Any other votes? Super Gav. Super, uh, yeah. Super Gav's, the, Super Gav's the answer for most of our <laughs> questions like this. You can't keep picking Super Gav. <laughs> We need goals. We need moments of magic. Yeah. But I would of of that combination in midfield, I'd say Darren Way. I think we need that needle, that bite in midfield. Um, but yeah, to solve the problems further up, definitely Gav. Dave? Michael Mackindo. Right, okay, let's uh, <laughs> let's move on to some questions because we do have questions about another Johnson um, uh, uh, talking about uh, the managerial situation. We've got a question here from Adam Skinner and he says, what we need more than ever is somebody who loves the club, can unite the fans and will stand up to the owner. Tell me why Gary Johnson isn't that man. I'm sure Torquay will let him leave rather than pay him off Hashtag return of the king. Gary so Johnson, Mark Three. Why isn't it? Why isn't it the third coming of Gary Johnson? Let's let's let me change the question. Whilst we've got uh, someone who knows Gary very <laughs> very well here, we'll we'll answer it. Chris, if you were in a team that was low on confidence, would you want Gary Johnson to be the one to come in and and shake things up? What would he do? Um, what would he do in, in this situation if he were well, to come? It's a difficult one because Gary, I've known Gary for years. He was my manager for eight years. Trouble with Gary, he either goes brilliantly or terribly. And I don't think, I don't think, they, you know, I really, I don't think Yeovil now, in terms of the situation we're in, what, 16 games gone, you've got the time for it to go wrong, if that makes sense. Because it does go wrong. The players are like, wait a minute, what's going on? Lockhampton, I remember him going in. It takes, five, six, seven, eight games for, it, for, the, for the lads to get what he's trying to do, if that makes sense. Or it clicks straight away, but very rarely. Um, so, yeah, I don't think they got the time to, to bring him in, if that makes sense. Because yeah. for certain players, they'll just they'll crumble straight away and they won't be able to hack it. And then you've only got 
five or six players that might be able to hack it, and that's not enough for a team. So, um, so yeah, I'm not sure if that would be the right appointment. But he might come in and do brilliantly. So. <laughs> so, so, so Ben, come on, you said you were going to ask the question. Tell him why it isn't uh, why Gary Johnson isn't the man, or tell him why he is a man. Because we're on the verge of appointing a different man. That's why he's not the man. Um, I, I mean, he, he he would tick a lot of boxes from the outside, wouldn't he? Um, unfortunately, the way Gary left on after after spell two probably means it's not going to happen, and it's you know it, 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 it's a different football club. Now that's that's my consideration. It's a completely different football club than it was in 2013, 2014. As much as we say it isn't, we wear the same shirt with the same badge on. It's a different football club, rightly or wrongly. In areas, it's better. In areas, it's worse. But that's the reason why it's not. It's not a Gary Johnson thing. We're a different football club now. Okay. We've got a lot of questions asking. I've got a few on Facebook as well asking about the um, realistic managerial options. And someone said Thomas Ducal's available, but uh, <laughs> I don't think that's going to that's going to work. And then somebody's also said, "Who do we think will take charge Saturday?" Lots of people saying Staunton, but surely we 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 need him on the field. I mean, that is a man who's got a hundred percent managerial record, as we all know. If there is a possibility that Mark Cooper isn't going to be in. Uh, for the for the weekend, is it? Is it? Do do we have just Staunton in temporary charge? What do you think, Ian? No, no. Can, can we stop trying to make Josh Staunton our like backup manager whenever things go wrong? He's a twenty six year old centre back. Like he doesn't need to be the manager of the statistically. Club. He's the best manager we've ever had, and I won't have anyone <laughs> tell me otherwise. Hundred percent win record. We've never conceded a goal under his under his stewardship. Stewardship. <laughs> I mean, the, the the numbers don't lie, Ian. The numbers don't lie. No, um, I would not have Josh Norton as our manager either. We need to clarify the role of Todd, of Stuart and of Osborne, the, the three side coaches. There's, I guess, a possibility that if if Cooper or whoever isn't in proper charge is just going to have a, a watching brief from the stands that Todd may take the first team lineup and then things may happen for, for Tuesday following. Um, if the entire coaching staff, um, were to disappear all in one go. Chris, are you busy on Saturday afternoon? Do you want to <laughs> do a bit of a coaching job for a game? Hey, he's already got experience of playing a Maidstone. That's so what I mean. Knows it, the yeah. place, knows the club. <laughs> know the pitch. All of it. Yeah. 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 Get you out there fluffing the pitch up, can't we? Yeah. Driving that tractor around. <laughs> I know Chris, lad. Chris did it last year for a bit, didn't he, as assistant? One game. Did he do one game? Nick Critton. Yeah. We should have special yeah. guest assistant managers each. Yeah. Well, Martin Richardson has asked us a question. I think we might have gone round and answered this because it says uh, a question in three parts, I suppose. Who would you like to have as manager? Who would end up, who would be the worst candidate within reason? And who will we likely end up with? Well, if we answer the last one first and say we're likely to end up with Mark Cooper, because that seems to be where everything's pointing, um, who, who would be your who would be the one you'd like and who would be the worst candidate we won't ask chris this one because that's a bit cruel but we'll um we'll we'll, we'll ask um ben and ian nigel adkins best ian holloway worst mm. uh, awesome wenger best no oh, see uh, <laughs> ian holloway worst i think we can unite on that dave 
Yeah, I, I'd agree with you. We'll have a treble of, um, of Ian Holloway and I will reanimate 2000 and was it three Gary Johnson? Can I say that? Can I like, can I put him back into some kind of time machine and take him back to uh, where it all began? Um, and we'll chuck, we'll chuck Chris in there as well. And then he can, uh, we, even if we've got the best goalkeeper in the league, I think Chris would probably be better than him, wouldn't he? So yeah, I'll have a reanimated Gary Johnson. How about that? <laughs> Tell you what, for for a whole bunch of worst possible outcomes, Graham Wesley's got off scot free in this little chat. <laughs> oh, by the way, yeah, he's yeah. got off completely scot free there, hasn't he? Maybe, maybe, maybe that's just because yeah, we never thought that one was going to happen, did we? But yeah, but there, <laughs> so there, there's a question here from Trevor Doc. Ben, have you seen this one? I haven't. No, is Ben applying for the job? Uh, yeah, CV went in. Yeah, <laughs> okay. done. And uh, yeah, has uh, has the chairman replied to, no. to, to you? Did you no. send it from your Glover's cast? Yeah, it goes straight so. into spam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I probably listed. should have sent it from my personal account rather than the Glover's cast account. That that's probably the reason why. Yeah. Mm, okay. Right. So yeah, Ben Ben has applied. What is your football manager uh, record? Do you I, do you have I, one? I have a great record on football manager. I took NK Maribor to the latter stages of the Champions League once. That was fantastic. Right. Okay. Slovenia's <laughs> finest. Congratulations, big in Slovenia is our And I've, yeah. I have got a cracking goal-scoring record at local level as well. So I, I know the area. So does, doesn't like to talk about it. No, yeah. I don't like to bring it up. I don't. Are like we to... scouring the Perry Street League for our <laughs> next signings? Sure, there's some lads who can do a job there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so the only other question we've got here is from uh, from Sam Gregory, who asked a question about, uh, he said, do, do you think the sacking of the manager uh, impacts upon or <coughs> indicates that a takeover is not likely? Now, we haven't spoken about uh, Martin Hellier, have we? We spoke about him on Sunday, but we haven't spoken about him again tonight because we've had one or two other things to talk about. But it does seem that... Uh, local businessman Martin Hellier uh, is uh, is planning his move or assessing his options or something like that, didn't he? So, do, do, do you think a sacking of a manager makes any difference with regards to what or may or may not happen uh, off the field? I don't think so. No, I don't. I, don't, I think, if anything, probably the change of manager is a good thing in that respect because. <laughs> The way it was going, it looked like we could end up a National League South club if if we didn't if we don't make a change. So, um, you know, maybe it's a change for the better. But I wouldn't, you know, it, it's very early days. Given that there was a when was the tweet first went out on Sunday morning, Sunday wasn't morning, it? Yeah. And then, you know, a lot of noise though, and a lot of you know, seemingly something is happening, and he's making moves by the looks of things. Yeah. Now, there's a po- poster on his Twitter tonight, wasn't there, of him uh, sat by a very grand-looking desk. So, uh, yeah, he is, a, he is a man who has some serious um, serious furniture, doesn't he? Didn't get that from Ikea. No, he definitely didn't. No, he wouldn't have some strange Swedish name. It's not an Ibrahimovic, is it, that one? But, no. <laughs> Yes, we, uh, we, uh, we, we, hope that, we hope that things are taken seriously and anyone who wants to make a serious approach, as, as was made clear by the club, if anyone has a serious conversation to be had, they're willing to entertain it. So, entertain away. 
Is that it? Okay. Is that all the juicy cues? That's done? it. That's all we've got. Yeah. Even on Facebook, the only thing we had was who did you who did you want as a manager? Um, and I don't think it really matters who we want, does it? It's, <laughs> who who we're gonna get? <laughs> but we shall see. We we might all be out of date when Arsene Wenger does make a comeback. Um, mm. and uh, yeah, if he's uh, parading around Hewish Park with a green and white scarf, look forward to it. We can dream. We can dream. We can dream. <laughs> Right. I think we need to say thank you to Chris for joining us for this Absolutely. special oh, Glovers cast. Thank you very much. Really appreciate thank your time you. tonight. Well, thank you very much for the invitation because the timing was um, yeah, very interesting, obviously, with the new manager and stuff. So, yeah, thank you very much. A pleasure. And I'll speak to you lads at the weekend, I expect. Enjoy well, Maidstone, Dave. Enjoy yeah. what's left of Saturday when you get home. And Yeah. I'll make it back. I'll, I'll speak to Sunday. And with a quick turn, skipper Alex Dock slams it in. There's Lindergaard making Forrest back pedal. Davis looking to help it into the path of Morris. He's found him via the deflection. It's Aaron Davis. He could win it. He probably has won it for Yeovil. Oh, and it's an opening goal. What a start. Madden, after just six minutes, gives Yeovil the lead. Stansfield, good turn away from Trott, 